jumping in, you're comfortable. Yeah. Done uh, texting people? I'm not texting, I'm looking up. Okay. I was reading something about What are you looking up? <laughs> I I was um looking into some classes I may want to take this fall. What kind of classes? Uh in introduction classes to Carl Young. Cool. Anyway, welcome to Everything Went Black podcast. <clears throat> it's this sort of mellow Saturday afternoon podcast. I've got uh, me and uh, Jacqueline Shear, the uh, dark lady who just happens to be my uh, significant other. So, anyway, it's been a while since I got one of these out, so uh, both have some interesting things to say. One interesting bit of news for the podcast is uh, pretty soon I'll be able to offer a discount code for Clothing Arts P-Cubed Clothing which uh, I had those guys on the podcast a few months ago. That's uh, Mark and Adam. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of their clothing. I wear the uh, cargo pants and the shorts. Actually, I'm wearing a pair of their shorts right now. Very utilitarian or functional. And um, we're just working out a deal with those guys where we're going to have a um, discount code available for Everything Went Black listeners. So stay tuned, and uh, we'll have some more information on that hopefully soon. So anyway... Jacqueline, you, uh, yesterday you, something really interesting happened to you. You're working on this uh, documentary, this series of interviews you've been working on, and you met with uh, someone at the Jungian Foundation. So, Yeah, I, um, so I'm working on a documentary. I'm not sure exactly what it will be about, but to put it vaguely, it's, it's about dreams, and I've been studying... Carl Jung for I guess about eight months now and uh, I've taken a course at the Carl Jung Foundation here in New York and uh, I've interviewed the former president and current treasurer and also um, a, a Jungian analyst for my doc and I actually met with him yesterday about uh Participating in Jungian therapy myself. What uh, what's the guy's name? His name is Max McDowell. Does he have any published uh, books or anything out, or you know, how'd you uh, how'd you find him first of all? Well, I when I decided that I wanted to explore dream theory and analysis, I you know, of course thought of Carl Jung, and I uh, tried to just find some places that I could, uh, you know, maybe get some information from, you know, locally. And I, I found the Carl Jung Foundation and saw that they have many courses about, uh, you know, everything from dreams to death and dying, uh, art and sand play. And, and What's sand play? Um, I actually, I'm not 100% sure what it is, but it, it, it's, it, they use it in Jungian therapy as a way to explore uh, the, the unconscious. So what, uh, what sets Jungian therapy apart from uh, you know, other 
psychoanalysis. Well, it's funny you ask that because I asked <laughs> Max this yesterday, and he, he couldn't really tell me because he's not trained in any other uh, therapy. But um, I will say that uh, Jung founded analytical psychology, which is centered around the unconscious. Um, so... Uh, you know, a lot of these guys are, they, they do a lot of dream work, uh, work with symbols, you know, it's kind of, from what I gather, the difference is that it's not so much about what's going on consciously and, you know, the, the ego is kind of destroyed, destroyed because the ego is kind of considered just like a psychological fantasy um, amongst many other of our fantasies. Um, so... Uh, some people might think that, you know, Jung, Jungian uh, analysis can, you know, you might drift, it's easy to drift off into la-la land, it might not be, Very you know, concrete, very... Yeah, uh, but I think that, I find it really interesting, and I think that it would benefit a lot of people to let go of their ego and to really explore, you know, the deep recesses of their mind, which often comes out in dreams, which is what I've always felt since I was a child. I've been dreaming since I was a child. I remember dreams I've, I've had when I was seven years old, 10 years old. I dream very vividly. And, uh, I was actually thinking the other day that I wish I got into this sooner. Cause I'm like, wow, like, you know, maybe I could have done some really important work on myself if I had taken my dreams seriously, you know, this whole time. So you're talking about the ego being like a psychological fantasy. Does that yeah. sort of imply that there's, um, you know, like a higher self or like a higher consciousness? And Yeah, well, the theory that there's this collective unconscious, uh, which is basically like a blueprint that's inherent in every individual. And it's kind of like, just like all humans share a physiological pattern, you know, DNA, uh, archetypes, which um, reside in the unconscious, are kind of like uh, this psychic pattern. Right. Um and uh, I don't really know too much about Freud. I know that Jung and Freud, obviously Freud was Jung's mentor, but Freud believed in just a personal unconscious mm-hmm. where we, you know, su- suppress uh, things or disown things about ourselves that we don't like, whereas Jung believed in, in a collective unconscious, you know. Um, I mean... There's symbols that are, are very common, you know. Um, I, actually, I, I had a dream a year ago that was had a profound effect on me about uh, snakes, and um, they they dreaming about a snake biting you generally like mean means something. What does it mean? Um, when a snake bites you, it's injecting you with poison, so it's injecting you with with a change. It's going to change your makeup. And so it's symbolic of a change in your life, uh, usually of great change, uh, transformation. Um, and even in, in alchemy, actually, Jung was 
uh, very fond of alchemy and he found it very valuable. Um, you'll see that uh, serpents are usually symbolic of transformation. You know, part of the the great work. You 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 see them. Well, you know about snakes. Yeah. And you've had kind of weird experiences with. Sure. Well, one of the things I was going to ask you about Carl Jung is: does uh, have has he is he known for using psychedelics? I don't know. I could have. It's funny when I was doing the interview with Max. He brought up drugs very briefly, but I didn't want to. Well, that's not drugs, man. We're not talking about drugs. Right. Well, drugs are pharmaceuticals that are made by right, companies no. like Pfizer and you know Merck. <laughs> We're not talking about those kinds of right. things. Um. Actually, I'm going to just turn this fan off real quick. I don't know if um, I don't know if you can hear. You know, it's going to come out in the audio. Just one second. probably made a big difference probably um i can't really talk too much about psychedelics i've never done acid i've done shrooms but i've never had you know anything happen to me that's really like shaken me to my core while you know on shrooms but i've i've heard about people seeing serpent-like creatures that's a common thing with like yeah. sort of natural psychedelics is, um, yeah. you know, serpents and symbols and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, my, my belief is that a lot of the ideas that, um, you know, stuff like the Hindus and ancient religions, a lot of those symbology comes from, uh, I mean, this isn't really my idea. I mean, this is shared by like guys like Graham Hancock and, you know, tons of other people, but those, those images were taken from a psychedelic world where, you know, your mind, transforms itself into and that sort of stuff is brought back from this other region you know wherever that is you know but when you're talking about the ego being a psychological uh, fantasy so that that sort of implies that like you know, our personalities and like who we are are just sort of these like constructs or like archetypes or something and yeah i mean it's it get it can get really heady and and kind of makes you dizzy because you're like, what? Do, okay, I get it, but um, I believe that we that humans generally do not understand themselves fully. That we, I mean, you you've met people that don't really dream. I mean, you've told me that you don't dream that often. Yeah, I go through long periods of time where I don't. I probably dream, I just don't remember my dreams, yeah. mostly. That's kind of like a disconnect with the unconscious. It could be that you're scared of opening up to the unconscious because you're scared what you're going to see. Um, you know, Jung spoke of the the shadow, which is, you know, obviously like the part of ourselves that's, like I said, uh, suppressed or disowned. You know, um, if you walk around thinking you're a great person... Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> uh, you're probably going to have a dream where your shadow will show up and show you, no, actually, you're not so great. Like, this is wrong and that's wrong. And, and a lot of people don't want to admit that they have problems. I mean, so many people have demons 
and they refuse to deal with them. I think, um, I know some people think therapy can be really like self-indulgent, but I think it's just really important for our, our psychological growth. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, you have to find someone who's right for you or, I mean, even just to like read up on stuff, but I, you know, it's, I find it very closed and very, um, naive of people to think that they're functioning perfectly fine in this world. Cause I think, you know, it's, it's a hard world. It's, it's, it could be really ugly and it, it takes a lot of effort to, to feel good, to not be depressed, to, you know, to find love, to be open to love, you know, um, but sadly too many people are attached to, uh, you know, their, their little gadgets these days, yeah. phones and Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. And that is such a distraction from, you know, things that would use like, you know, that would take up time and, and brain power, you know, all that stuff. It's such rapid response, instant gratification. And I think it, it keeps, it takes us further and further away from who we really are, which I think is scary. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember a world where we didn't have all these, you know, Facebook pages and, uh, mobile devices and things of that nature. And, uh, I do remember, a time when I don't, I didn't feel as encumbered by these things, um, you know, where I didn't feel tethered to other people in the same way I feel tethered right now. Where if I didn't want, if I don't want anyone to talk to me or get in touch with me, I just, when I was a kid, I would just go off on my own somewhere. And now I can't really be alone because you have to answer questions if you someone called you on their mobile device or text you, and it's just like, you know, all right, where were you? I don't know, I was somewhere. You know, I didn't want to bring my phone with me or something, and. You know, I don't, that I don't like. I don't like being, not having those moments where you can just escape from things, you know. And in general, I've been trying to not carry my phone with me as much or not pay attention to those things and, you know, sort of free my mind and ex- explore other things which actually are more meaningful than just answering text messages or liking things on Facebook or liking things on Instagram and, you know, and, uh, in these days where there's this, all these distractions going on, that's like a really hard thing to do. Um, you know, kids who have grown up with this technology at their disposal, I'm interested to see how humans develop along with this. Because, you know, our physiology hasn't changed and the way our brains act hasn't really changed since we were, you know, an ancient people, you know. Yeah, it's, I was actually reading a couple of articles uh just last week kind of about all this stuff and this thing called FOMO, which is fear of missing out, uh, which I fall victim to, you know, I hate feeling like, Oh, maybe there's something really awesome going on and I'm not there, you know, and I'm doing something else that's just fine. But, you know, you, you see people on their phones constantly now. Um, and it's, it, it's kind of part of that. It's it's wanting to know what's going on, needing to be connected. But then you're taking away from, you know, the, the present. Like, whatever you're doing at that given moment. If you're out to dinner with someone and you're, you know, it's like you're checking your Twitter to see what else is going on. It's like, well, then you're just, you know, taking away from whatever you're, you're doing. You know, that time you're sharing with a friend or lover, whoever, you know. Um, 
And uh, I think that people think that they have it figured out, especially teenagers, you know. Um, but I think that our relationship with technology is still so immature, you know. It's like still in its infancy and we haven't quite figured it out yet because right now it doesn't work. It brings out, I mean, I know because I used to be on Facebook and I canceled my account because it just, I couldn't handle it. And then if you're going on Facebook to like, you know, share some cool like news article or, you know, like check out some band you like, or, you know, just to like share information, then, then that's fine. But I think a lot of people stalk I yeah. think a lot of people, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of it, sure. you know, and I'm, I'm, it's not healthy. I'm ashamed of it. I mean, I hate myself. I can, I used to go on Facebook and, you know, see pictures of people and, oh, it's like, oh, their lives are so great. But I have to remind myself that oh, those are just their highlights. I mean, you're not going to post anything miserable about yourself. You're not going to be raw on Facebook. I mean, no. you might throw in some, you know, tragedy for good measure, you know, just to make it more realistic. But, um, you know, but anyway, I, I felt like it would bring out things in myself that I didn't like, like insecurities. And it's like, well, I shouldn't really be doing this. I should maybe think about why am I feeling insecure and why am I feeling unhappy and uh, why am I dissing, you know, this bitch's artwork and why am I criticizing what this person is doing? Of course, not publicly, just in my head. I would never, you know, put that out there. But, um, you know, I just felt, wow, like maybe I should be productive and, 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 and make something myself and feel proud of you know, something that I'm creating, you know, go out there, be creative, like don't waste time on, on Facebook. Um, and now I'm on Instagram and it's cool. And I love seeing photos and I, you know, I love seeing photos from friends and, and tattoo artists and whatever, uh, people I might not talk to all the time. It's cool to see what they're up to, but, um, I don't know, even that messes with my mind sometimes, and I find that it's, like, it's addictive, it's distracting, and it does not foster, like, positive feelings. I feel like it's always, like, you're trying to one-up someone, or it's, like, if you're not, if you're not feeling bad about yourself because someone's life looks so great, then you're putting someone down to make yourself feel better, you know? Yeah, but that's your choice, though. I mean, oh, yeah. everyone, you know, there's this kind of leads into like some of the some kind of concept I'm working with, which has to do with, um, you know, sort of manifesting things. Where instead, you know, recently, as you know, <laughs> I've been dealing with these knee injury, mm-hmm. you know, and like there there was moments where I could have actually taken control of the situation and, and dealt with it. You know, I could have gotten really diligent about finding health benefits to, to help me deal with it. But there, I just didn't do it because I was like, Oh, it'll go away. Or I was like nervous about how much it would cost and not be able to afford it. You know, that kind of thing. And I just let it go. And that, that irresponsibility manifested into a larger injury, which affected me deeply for months. And now I'm just now turning the corner on it. So, I mean, you know, I could have gone through periods where I was feeling, I feel sorry for myself or like, you know, poor me, you know, my, 
this goddamn knee, I'm getting old or like whatever, like I'm starting to fall apart and you know, I, I just want to train and I can't do what I want to do or I missed, you know, competing in the Naga tournament or any of those things. But re- the reality is I had control over that. Like I could have, as soon as I felt that pain, I could have done everything I could to find proper channels to get help for myself. So, I mean, ultimately I feel like even when negative things happen to people, there's a component of that where you're, you're actually in control of that yourself. You know what I mean? So these negative feelings of being online where you see other people, like you're choosing actually to, to feel that way. Right. You know? I, totally. I, to- I understand that. And I mean, that's, again, that's why I took myself off of Facebook because I was like, you know what? This just doesn't feel healthy for me. Um, but I think in general, like social media as a whole, it's like we have not gotten it figured out. If no. we did, we wouldn't be so obsessed with it and so addicted to it. You know, it's like currently it is not an extension of our lives. We haven't figured out this great balance. Right now it's like taking over people's lives. Right, but also there, there's like, you know, just, I, I agree with you so on you're that saying they 100%. Could... But I'm saying like, Things like that could be curtailed by just putting a little bit of discipline on yourself. Yeah, because but... anything, anything can could take hold of your life and distract you. I mean, you know, as you know, I'm I'm quite fond of masturbation. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> like beating off, just like everyone else. But it's like I haven't let it control my life. You know, I don't sit around and not go to work and not get anything done, just so I can sit around and jerk off all day. You know, and I like that sure. way more than I like looking at Facebook for sure. Sure. You know, and there could be many, a multitude of other things that are addictive. And it just, I think that I'm not, I'm, look, I think Facebook, all that stuff has its place and it shouldn't be this obsessive thing that most people put it, you know, make it into. But if you have just like, you know, a little bit of discipline about how you conduct yourself and what you, how you want to process that information, I feel that it you cannot let it ruin your life. You know? Sure. Sure. However, young people. I feel do not have those skills, and that's why they go into these wormholes and Correct. all these horrible things have happened. Oh yeah, there's bullying. been deaths. Yeah, bullying and rapes and all this other stuff. So um, it's it's a, it's an interesting uh, discussion though about. Yeah, I think as a whole, and I don't know if you've had this conversation with Garrett Busnick. Oh, our, my our new guitarist, right yeah. <laughs> now in Tombs. Hi, Garrett. Uh, Garrett. Garrett and I had a really cool conversation once on the train about this kind of stuff. And I mean, what it comes down to is whether you're, you know, 15 or, or 40, you know, I think if you participate in social media, I think, I I just think it could be very damaging. And I think it's because humans are, we're advancing technologically like so much faster than we are socially and psychologically and that's just that's physiologically too yeah i mean that's just a fact it's like we can't keep up with this the rate that technology is moving we just can't keep up with it and that's why i mean there's being studies on this shit you know because it really is taking over people's lives i mean i it's funny, my coworker Melissa defriended someone recently. I think I told you. Uh, yeah. Who she hadn't spoken to in yeah. a while. And she's like, Yeah, I 
haven't spoken to this person in, in years, you know, we were friends, but not great friends, well, I'll just defriend her, you know, clean up my, my friends list, and the next day, that girl wrote her, I was like, oh, do you have a problem with me, like, why did you defriend me, she couldn't believe it, she thought it was, like, so com- comical, you know, but anyway, um, yeah, I don't know, I just, you know, I'm not a very big fan of that stuff, but, you know, in some ways, it's necessary these I understand days. That. If you're trying to do something, you know, if totally. you want to have a band or films or any kind of work-related stuff. Of course, you have a very healthy online presence, you know, and and I see how it's benefited you. And maybe I'm just kind of waiting until sure. I start creating, uh, you know, start working on my own projects, and I've something to feel proud of that I want to share with the world. And maybe I'll have another Facebook account. Maybe yeah. I'll. You know, well, this documentary project sort of indicates to me that you should probably, once the thing gets close <laughs> to being com- complete, start yeah. thinking about putting together some sort of web presence. I probably will. I'm working on it. Yeah. I'm working on it. My, I have a website, but it's under construction. But I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a bit of a technophobe. But I, I, if I have something. You know that I, I feel really good about that I want to share with people. Then, then yeah, when that time comes, I will open myself up to the world of Facebook again and and Twitter. You know, what was sort of the the sort of kernel of the idea for putting together this documentary? Like, where did this come from? Well, I'm going to be 33. <laughs> I've been feeling really behind and I've been depressed on and off for I think a couple of years now at least just about my my place in life. I mean I have a, a great job and I work with good people and I feel productive but it just doesn't feel like enough. I feel like I'm not where I, I could be and where I want to be. Uh, I feel like I'm capable of so much more and I was actually um, – really high one night watching Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. you know, and as you know, we're, we're big Lynch fans, and I was just like, man, I love dreams, you know, and uh, I love Lynch and, and all his references to dreams and his, you know, um, and it just kind of hit me. I thought, well, that's something that I really like and that I'm so familiar with because, like I said, I've been dreaming since I was little and very, very vivid. I think I used to lucid dream, actually, uh, in up until I was maybe like 13. And um, I just thought, wow, maybe I should should do something with that. It's something I know. It's something I enjoy. You know, maybe I could, you know, be really... Uh, artistic about it and just have fun with it you know and I love photography I love film I'm an editor I can edit I love music you're a musician a songwriter it was also about that like well let me you know utilize my my resources and I thought wow maybe I can make something really awesome out of this and I didn't know what it was gonna be but I just thought okay Like, if I don't do this, if I don't do something really big that I feel really proud of that will probably take me years to make, then I think my soul will just 
die and I won't do anything <laughs> ever. Like, I feel like the time is now or never, you know. And, of course, I, I was a little discouraged because there's so many people. On one hand, there's a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a movie, and then they don't make a movie. And then there's a lot of people that make movies. I mean, there's so many yeah. docs out Documentaries there. Documentaries especially, yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of them. I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of shit, and I've seen a lot of really amazing work. Um, you know, so, of course, there's that fear you know at first it's like i went through all these different emotions and of course i'm prone to a defeatist attitude as you know feeling like well me no this isn't interesting it's been done before but then i thought you know what like if i'm a real artist then it doesn't matter if it's done before because no one's seen it from my viewpoint right and i'm gonna make it really special and you know. But but that's all right now. You see the other the thing, that sort of idea that I was putting out there about manifesting. You know, it's like yeah, there you have a goal, right? Yes. Now, there's nothing stopping you except for yourself from reaching that goal. You Which have I- all the tools. Like you know how to edit. You're a good editor. I mean, you've had how many things have you had on the Apple site? Your tra- trailers you worked on. Um, four. I have four edits on the Apple site. So Soon to be five and possibly six in yeah. like the I mean, next you obviously have few months. You obviously have skills and you know what you're doing. And you are not like some kid off the street who just knows how to use Final Cut. Like you have skills and you know narrative abilities. and So, I mean, it's, a, it's not so much of a, a jump for me to think of you as making a documentary, completing the project and getting done with it. So the only thing that's really standing in your way is yourself. Right, which is often the case. Yeah. I mean, I and I, I know that it took me some years to figure that out. That uh, my, my friend Matt once said to me, like, that doesn't make any sense. How can you get in the way of yourself? And That's so many people get in and, their own uh, way. Though. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's fear. It's fear of failure. It's fear of not being good enough. You know, again, like I, I wrestle with a lot of demons, like so many people do, and and part of this process for me I think making this film is is also just understanding myself better and really wanting to grow you know and um just so the whole process so far at least has been therapeutic you know um and I'm, I'm exploring all all theories about dreams and you know, scientific, mystical, emotional, you know, everything. So, uh, if it's, it's cool it, in a way, and maybe I, I designed it that way or I am designing it that way without realizing it, but it really, I think is helping me, uh, come to terms with who I am and just un- understand the way I, I just understand myself better, you know, yeah. why I do things the way I do, why why I'm so scared, why I freak out, why I cry about this or that, you know. And sure. it's really, um, it, it's cool. It feels really cool. I'm enjoying it. It's, you know, it's fun. So how how's your summer been so far? <laughs> We're getting into the end of July now. Um, my summer has been pretty good. Uh, somewhat productive. Um, 
I wish that I've I would have gotten more work done with this stuff that we've been talking about, but you know you can step it up, always step it up, right? Um, and uh, been you know hanging out with friends as much as I can. That's been fun. There haven't been that many shows, but we have a lot of shows coming oh, up. Oh yeah, yes we do. In the fall, my favorite well, season. Yeah, but also coming <laughs> up next weekend is the Black Sabbath show. Yes, Black Sabbath. Which will be fun. It'll be outdoors. I think so. I like I like their most recent release there, that new album. Have you listened to it? I have not. <laughs> you got to check it out. I know, and I I had a I downloaded it for free, which was awesome. But I I have not listened to it. There's that song yeah. "Loner," which was the first song I listened to on that record. It was pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah, I like it, man. I mean, it's not you know, it's no it's no masters of reality or it's no paranoid, but you know, that was made. How thirty something years ago? Yeah. So I'm not expecting it to sound like that, mm-hmm. but I'm expecting it to sound like Tony Iommi and Ozzy being creative and doing stuff, you know. And that's that's what I'd be basically get doing something modern, more modern, but still with that vibe of like Sabbath, you know. So we got that. We got uh, what's after that's that? First. Uh, so oh, early September we have Depeche Mode, which is awesome. Yeah. We've never seen them before. I haven't, I haven't seen Depeche Mode um, before. And that's going to be really cool. Uh, and then two weeks after that, we have Death in June. Aha. Yeah. Which. Controversial Death in June show. Finally. It's, I'm so excited. Yeah. You've, you've seen them, but I, I saw I, them I've once seen them. in the late 90s with Non. Right. At this place called um, Man Ray in Boston, Massachusetts, when I lived up there. And uh, me and Josh Scott, my good friend and roommate at the time, and our other roommate, Dave, you probably heard me talk about Dave a bunch of times, you know, sort of con- complicated sort of guy, very controversial views with Dave. But a friend still, man, and like whatever his viewpoints are and politics are, he's like someone who's a, my friend. So and we were living together all at the same time. But that was an interesting show. There's a lot of sketchy sort of fascist types at that show, which I'd never seen in any other shows at the time. And, um, yeah, that was like this real tense vibe the whole time. So I don't know if this next show is going to be like that or not. Yeah, I'm kind of, <clears throat> I'm kind of curious. Um, I've done it's you know when I first started listening to Death in June I did all this research on them because I was like well is he a Nazi or isn't he you know and and then I put that to bed and you know it's been a couple years now a few years now um, and now that they're playing I I found myself recently online like looking things up again like okay wait like what. I'm just so, I guess I'm curious, and also in light of these recent protests against uh, Boyd Rice playing, right. who, and, you know, I, I don't like Boyd Rice, um, I just don't think he's talented, and I don't care for him, and he's so misogynistic that I just, it's hard for me to so what, what were some of the, like him. What was the controversy but, with that show? Because there, um, there was Boyd Rice and uh, that band Cold Cave, right, performing yeah, live? Yeah. Um, I don't know, which is weird because Boyd Rice has done book readings. I know over the last couple of years, like mm-hmm. at Strand, which is yeah, like a totally very respectable, respectable place bookstore. Yeah, yeah, it's like a 
landmark basically in New York. Um, and, and he's played shows with non. So I don't really know. I think because cold cave is horrible. So, so horrible and popular. Um, you know, it just suddenly Boyd Rice became more visible to people and, you know, everyone freaked out. It's like, oh, you know, we need to distribute anti-racist literature and, you know, teach people. And it's like, you don't think these people know that he's like this, you know, misogynistic redneck? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I It's weird. Um... So has there been any anything about Death in June playing? No, you know, I haven't seen anything. And I went on Brooklyn Vegan because, you know, the shit always flies on, on, the, on the Brooklyn Vegan uh, forums, whatever. You know, on, on everything they post, there's always comments. And, you know, there's people who make comments just to comment, just to be jerks. And they have nothing better to do. But I didn't really see anything. Um you know, someone wrote, oh, fuck them, just listen to Cult of Youth. It's like, no, actually, Cult of Youth doesn't sound anything like Death in June. They're like and the how, are you compa- <laughs> how are you comparing a band that's really just been around, what, I don't know, a few years, and it's like some guys from, you know, New York versus this, this really, I mean, Douglas P is so prolific. He's put out so much music. Right. But also, it's know? like de- that Death in June is like... that heavy influence on that band cult of youth right it's apparent to me at least right well see it's funny because when i listen to them i don't i'm like they don't sound no, like i'm not that saying that they them. sound like them but you can see the the whole idea of doing what they're doing to me is directly a result of douglas pierce's work right the same thing with that king what's guy king or whatever, dude. that dude is that guy Who king i dude. think sounds like a blatant ripoff yeah it's the same production, the same what chord progressions. Yep. All that sa- stuff. I mean, yeah. it's like it's embarrassing. It's like, oh, you really want to sound like Douglas P. Whereas Cult of Youth, I, I feel like they're kind of doing their own thing. Sometimes they sound p- pogues-ish. The pogues. Yeah, like they don't. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, that's cool that they're influenced by them, but they don't sound like Death and June. The whole trip though is very much suspicious to Fine. me. Well, the whole neo folk thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, you could well. You, did Douglas P single-handedly like cre- create that whole genre? Yeah, maybe him and Michael Michael you know, Gira, you know, the Swans. David Tibet. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, it's know. not so much that uh, I just don't see a lot of originality in that scene. Really, right. I mean, and, but, I mean, who am I to talk? But it's just like my own humble opinion is I don't see a lot of forward thought and a lot of originality. Yeah. I just see like renderings of other things that have gone before in a sort of this cyclical recycling sort of trip you yeah. know it just to me it's not very interesting and it's just like and that's just me i mean you know who the hell am i to say anything about anybody's creative output you know <laughs> but i have my opinions just like other people do sure um i don't like any of that music yeah, honestly well, it's not stuff I. I get into i mean honestly i mean there's a lot of current 93 stuff that i don't like um oh, i had a harrowing near-death experience while listening to Car 93 on tour (laughs) one time. So, yeah. But I'm not a big David Tibet Tibet fan either. I mean, he's cool, you know, but not just not into him. I mean, Douglas Pierce is extremely talented. He's got a great voice. He's, you know, put out 
folk records, uh, electronic dance records. His last record was, you know, all piano. I mean, yeah. it has this very cabaret vibe, and I love it. And I can listen to, you know, all all of his music in one day, and it just it all kind of makes sense, and it all it, it's really well done. And I mean, at this point, I consider myself a, a, a real fan, and I just enjoy seeing him, you know, do do new things you know the, the piano thing was a step away from the usual yeah. you know acoustic stuff i guess my thing is is um all right you know whatever man whatever whatever douglas p's politics are and whatever boyd rice's politics are those guys are just at the heart they're just rock singers man they're just entertainers they're going out there making they're doing their thing in front of a live audience. They're not leaders of these fascist movements. There are things that people should be more afraid of that should be in open arms about, about their free in this country, about their freedom being taken away, about people controlling what they eat, about these corporations like taking shit over and like controlling what goes in and out of your body. Women's reproductive rights. But no one, no one's up in arms about that shit. They just want to bum people out and like hand out pamphlets outside of, you know, this old gay guy's show or whatever they want. I know. You know, some, like, old gay dude with his acoustic guitar. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> come on, really? You know, it's like yeah. there's there's way more righteous causes than, like, trying to, like, you know, shut down some show. And I'm not saying that anyone's trying to, like, picket the Death in June show. But the Boyd Rice thing, it's like, cool, you know, whatever, man. You know, he's got his thing. You either like it or dislike it. But he's not leading anyone no you know maybe just like a bunch of like you know raul julia lookalikes you know a <laughs> bunch of chicks who look like morticia you know like that kind of thing or but he's not he's not creating a political front you know it's like right. it's still and it and it, in my opinion i feel like a lot of it is just a, a joke on his part i feel like his you know he's a prankster you know remember those old uh research you know mm-hmm. books pranks you know V-Val. Yeah. I feel like a lot of that stuff is, is Boyd Rice. I feel like that he's just a guy who likes to get extreme reactions out of people. You know? I, yeah. on, I on the other hand, I, I do like some of his material. I like some of the stuff he did as non. I like his writing. You know, I, I don't, I'm not racist or misogynistic. You know, I, 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 I like little girls, man. You know? <laughs> I'm just, uh, I, I like to be around women, you know? But, uh, but old Boyd, you know, maybe he doesn't, you know? But he's a rock singer, you know? He's got his little electronics up on stage, and he's just performing, man. That's all it is, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of unsavory characters that make music. Oh, my God. You know, yeah. criminals, you know, drug addicts, you know, women, wife beaters, like all, all that kind of stuff, man. You know, abusers of children. Like, they're all over. You know, who, who doesn't have a problem that makes music? Yeah. Well, know. yeah, I mean, people... People love Burzum, and they understand that. Well, see, Varg, who I mean, you know how he feels. You, yeah. you right? Yeah. He's very, very candid about his ideas about right. race and politics and all that sort of stuff. Uh, which is fine, you know. I, I like Burzum fine, you know. I have a couple records, you know. He's not singing about that stuff. He's also not trying to, you know, start some kind of revolution, you know. But um, you know, I mean, obviously, like you, you, like I draw the line somewhere. I, would I wear a Burzum shirt? No, but maybe that's just because I'm not that big of a fan. But I have a Death in June tattoo, mm-hmm. and I'm culturally Jewish, yeah. and 
so obviously the Nazi imagery and aesthetic really, like I said, I did a lot of research because I was like, all right, how do I feel about this? And I know I love the music, but oh, is it, 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 it's bad. Maybe it's bad. And I can't get behind this if, if it's coming from this really, you know, ugly place. But then I realized, you know what, he's an artist and he's not trying to, you know, run for president. Yeah. I mean, and if he was, then you want, you know, it's besides the fact that he's English, like, I don't, right. but if he was trying to like be a leader, then that trying to organize people, yeah. that's a different story. I also think that his homosexuality plays a big role in, you know, I, it's, he's a big fan of the night Porter, which is very sensational. I, I own very, that on DVD, yes, by the way. Yeah. It's a I great know. movie. Yeah. It, 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 it is a good movie. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it, uh, I don't want to just say it, it, it's it's for shock, but, but that could be part of it. But I, I think that, you or it know, might be some you know fetishistic. Fet- sort of exactly. Thing, you well, know? I think it is all fetish. I think that there's a big part of the, you know, the gay sub. There's a subculture that's very much into, you know, uh, being being tortured and. And you know it's 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 a, f- a fetish. The uniforms. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. totally hot, you know. And I, I I get it. I mean, I'm not a gay man, but I understand. And um, I think that that that's it. I think it's fetish. I think it's art. You know, being ambiguous. It's like keep people guessing. You know, um, if people decided, oh well, no, Douglas. Pierce is a Nazi or he's not a Nazi, then I feel like the, you know, the mystique would die and maybe people would lose interest. So he's very smart. You know, he's so, I mean, he has said in a nutshell, I don't deny that the Holocaust has happened. I mean, just the way he phrases things is like, you're like, oh, well, can't you just be a little bit more direct? But I I get it now. It's like, he's never going to be as direct as, as we want him to be and but one thing and I, I think I'd mentioned this to you recently I, I an interviewer and I think this was now like a few years ago uh, someone interviewing interviewing him asked uh, if being gay is a big part of his music and he said yes absolutely actually being gay like plays a huge part and I wish more people would ask me about that you know and so it kind of just all makes sense to me now like reading things like that you know uh there's a a a release that came out um of that uh the peaceful snow record and it's actually acoustic and it comes with patches with the death's head with a rainbow behind it you know um and there were a lot of gays in the essay and i don't know i mean I, i also lemmy is obsessed with uh yeah but these doesn't have any politics though i mean it's you know no no. But also in the 80s, uh, I felt like Nazi stuff was, like, everywhere. Like totally. Susie Sue, Sid Vicious. Yeah, metal. Hello, what about everyone? It's like everyone complains about Death in June, but what about Joy Division and, and Warsaw? You know, I had that poster in yep. high school, the war with the Hitler yep. Youth, mm-hmm. and I actually gave it to my friend Mimi because I, I, I knew what it was, and I was like, you know what? I, I love Joy Division, but... My mom might freak out about this, and I don't need it. I'll get a different Joy Division poster, but, I mean, you want to talk about Nazi references. It's like, well, then you shouldn't listen to Joy Division. You shouldn't listen to New Order, you know. Um, Yes, Douglas P. takes it a step further, you know, but I think that's just part of it. It's just, 
you know, it's testing people, it's messing with people, getting under their skin, and either you like it or you don't. But don't protest it, you know? Yeah, go, remember, go, uh, go stand up for women's rights and reproductive rights. Or, or any of the other multitude of things oh. that are secretly going on in this country that people should be up in arms about but aren't, you know? I mean, things as simple as the NDAA, you know, like all that. Like that mm-hmm. stuff, it's still, it's still, you know, it's still a live topic, man. But no one, no one, no one seems to care about that. And I feel like that's a bigger threat than some, you know, old queen coming to Brooklyn to play his songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some gay dude who's like not a threat to anyone singing these songs that are, you know, these like sort of vaguely fascist imagery in it. You know, I mean, that's the kind of thing that has long-term effects on our society. You know, the idea with the NDAA is that, oh, well, you know, we would never, we were going to take all this information. We're never going to use it though. You know, but who knows, like 30 years from now, some psychopath takes over, you know, control of this country and he has basically carte blanche to reference every single person's, every single citizen's private correspondences and emails and information. That's scarier to, to me once again, than some guy, you know, showing up here wearing like a, you know, some vaguely fascist regalia and singing his singing a bunch of songs, you know, What's which scarier? reference magic, you know, he's a yeah, ceremonial he's a magician, magician yeah. and he, I mean, so, you know, and, and even the whole thing with like nutrition, like all this like stuff that to me is like more significant than, like I said, than death in June or board rice coming here. You know, like Monsanto oh, and, yeah. and GMO and all that kind of stuff, you know, or like that gigantic whirlpool of plastic that's like chilling out in the Pacific Ocean that's getting bigger every year. No one cares about that. But they're, it's, it, they're all up in arms because Boyd Rice came to Brooklyn to do a fucking <laughs> show with some horrible, shitty fucking New Order ripoff band. You know, that, that's, that's a topic that people are losing sleep over. I know, it's ridiculous. It's bullshit, you know. Anyway. <laughs> I gotta take another sip of water here. Okay. Well, needless to say, I'm very excited that Death in June is finally playing New York again. Um, for the first time in what, uh, like a decade maybe? Easily, I think. I think maybe the last time I played was 2002, 2003 maybe. The frying pan, I forget. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. It's gonna um, be fun. Yeah. Then after that, we have Godflesh Damn too. It, uh, right? Yeah. Second time in like two what, a year and a half or yeah, something. Yeah, they were again a band I hadn't seen until we saw them at Maryland Death Fest. That was the first time I'd ever seen. That shit God was Plus. just like it was it was like a religious experience. I had my eyes closed like half the time. It was so good. I feel like if you don't like Godflesh, you're either a poser or a herb. <laughs> That's how I feel about Godflesh. It's like there's something wrong with you if you don't like them. As everyone likes at least one or two Godflesh songs. And to not, you know, give Justin Broderick credit for, you know, everything he's done. Again, like another another really prolific person. Yeah. Um, I mean, Street Cleaner, of course, was like, you know, genre-defining. Yeah, and he was in Napalm Death, too, of course, for a while. Right. You know. But, um... Yeah, that's exciting, and they're playing Irving, which is my favorite. Has always been my favorite venue yeah. in New York to see shows. The sound there is great, and you know the staff has always been cool. 
Um, so that's going to be awesome. In October, the best month ever. It's your birthday month. Yeah. And Halloween mm-hmm. and, you know, the air is crisp and it's just really nice. It's, it's nice. Although last October sucked. It was too warm. So hopefully this October will be nicer and we'll have our real autumn season. Yeah, I'm about ready for the summer to be over with. I'm not a big summer guy. Yeah. You know, and aside from, you know, we had that really brutal weather, but like right now, it's a beautiful Saturday afternoon. It is. Yeah. It is. And it was really, um, it was very cool on Thursday. Yeah. And the air was really nice. And I felt like, I feel like there's always a fall preview in the summer. There's yeah, always like one or two we days. Yeah, we got at least, you know, five or six weeks of brutality left over, so I we not get too excited. But I'm, I'm kind of over it and I'm ready for, for fall. But, um, uh, what's after Godflesh? That's it, man. Is I go, that it? I go down to Florida after that to record our new album. Yeah, with, with Eric Rutan. Eric Rutan. It's going to be good times. That's awesome. So how do you how do you feel about working with Rutan on this record? That's going to be awesome, man. I um I'm a big fan of his, you know, the work he's done. Um you know, I own a bunch of records that he's recorded that he's played on, you know, Hate Eternal, the stuff he did with Morbid Angel. Most notably the work he did on the last I think two Goat Horror records. Mm-hmm. He recorded those and I remember when we were mastering Path of Totality at West West Side Studios with Alan Duchess. I remember Alan played me a bunch of tracks where he's like, yeah, you know, this is kind of what I was thinking mastering-wise that he'd, he'd worked on. And one of them was the Goat Horror record. And I was blown away by how awesome that sounded, especially like in his studio with that big system he has. And I made a mental note. And that was like, you know, like three years ago at this point. I made a mental note that I'm like, yeah, you know, I need to maybe maybe work at, at least pay attention to what Eric Rutan's doing, and uh, you know, now we're coming into this album project, it's recording, and I'm like, yeah, let's you know, let's see what's up, and uh, yeah, it's it's so far. Like, I haven't spoken to him directly. It's all been sort of coordinated through Relapse, but you know, we got two weeks to go down there. We're gonna try to you know try to do our the best best we can. You know, I think that. You know, he he would be the kind of person who would understand where we're coming from sonically, and uh, we're all looking forward to it. I do know that he's like a real slave driver and very very critical and very um, detail oriented when it comes to performances. So, you know, that's a little bit of a motivation for me to make sure I, sh- I show up as prepared as possible. You know, execution wise and. You know, even even technical things like making sure that my guitar stays in tune, like constantly. You know, and uh, yeah, I think in general that's you know right coming in these next these next three months, the band are we're all going to be getting into this, you know, schedule trying to iron out a schedule of, for rehearsal because everyone lives in different cities now, as you, as you know. So we got to get everyone together and uh, and start grinding, you know. So I think I think it's going to be good. No title yet. We don't have a title on mm-hmm. but demos, you know, and, uh, I mean, you've heard some of the demos. Yeah. And they sound great. Uh, yeah, I think this new record's going to sound really fucking heavy. I think Rutan's going to do a good job with Andrew's drums. Yeah. And, uh, 
yeah, I'm excited to to hear it. I think it's going to be really great. Um, those demos sound great too, and they, yeah. I, I had nothing to do with recording those. They were just uh, Nick from Hall. Like our, we share a practice space with those guys, and Nick has a recording setup down there, and we just he tracked all the all the stuff, and then Eli from uh, Carbomb mixed it, and I think he did a tremendous job mixing it. I mean, it sounds like an album. It sounds like yeah. something that you could buy and or download or whatever, and it sounds great. Uh, I can't be. I can't say enough good things about both of those guys, you know. Yeah, they did a really good job. Um, the songs sound good. There's a one song where you sound a little like Barney. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Which well, is Palm Death. Yeah. yeah, which is cool. I liked hearing that. Hearing your, you know, your your vocals kind of shift a little, get a little, you know, a little heftier. Um, and there's a song that you did uh, with Paul. Delaney. Oh yeah, which Ashes. is not right. Yeah, it's not technically on the demo, but it'll, the, be the it'll be on the record. That, that was great. Yeah, Paul's gonna. We're definitely gonna get some some figure out some way to have Paul's vocals on there because you know he's gonna be up here in New York and we're gonna be in Philly or yeah Philly. I wish we're gonna be <laughs> in St. Petersburg, Florida. Yeah, you know, which is like an, something I wanted to avoid this time around because last the last album we recorded was down in uh outside of dallas so i wanted to avoid having to travel like you know whatever 20 hours to get someplace and now it's we're back in the same boat with that and most likely i'm going to drive home again by myself with all the gear (laughs) so Mm. it is what it is you know and i think that but that's probably the the most the easiest way for us to get what we want you know is to go down there and do it so I think the payoff will will be worth it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and also, being in Florida in late November is going to be kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it'll be warm and sunny out. Yeah. And, you know, pleasant. So. Just don't go into the swamps. Good work environment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dude. <laughs> the next topic is this movie, The Paperboy, which we just recently saw, which uh, featured uh, one of my favorites, Matthew McConaughey, and. Um, John Cusack. John Cusack and that kid, whatever. Zach Efron. Yeah. From High School, the musical, and uh, I don't know what else he's done, but I, I was so impressed is. with his performance. He yeah. was really great. Nicole Kidman. Nicole is in Kidman it. was awesome. She was really awesome. I don't find myself being attracted to her very much, but I was very attracted to her in this, yeah. this movie. Yeah. Well, she had that whole like you know. You know, sitting with her legs spread and, you know, being in love with some, you know, convicted, you know, criminal whom she never, she never met before. Yeah. You know, Um, so there was this weird kind of lost vibe to her that. She looked a little crazy. I I think you would like. Yeah, she looked a little crazy. You know, know, those eyes, crazy eyes, you know. Um, it's funny because like we thought that the movie was going to be a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, our our friends Brian and Alex suggested it, and uh, actually, it's funny they they recommended it because I was talking about death in June and and you know fetishes and S and M, and uh, they were like, oh, you should check out the Paperboy because there's like some like sick shit in there and that that has to do with that but i i kind of 
I was under the impression that it was going to be, um, I don't know, maybe not that it wasn't colorful, but just, uh, yeah, something a little more light, lighter, maybe. I didn't think it was going to be so dark. It was, but right off the bat, it started off heavy because the first thing they do is talk about this like murder rape. Yeah. You know, how this guy went to jail and the guy that went to jail was the character Hillary portrayed by John Cusack. Right. And then kind of goes from there and then there's like these two brothers and right matthew mcconaughey is like this this like you know closeted gay guy yeah and that was such a small part like, though like writer. the secret snm fetish i was like when's that coming when's yeah. that coming it and it was and just went. this detail right yeah. towards the end that, that came and went and it was more about nicole kidman's character and you know john cusack's character uh, and of course, Zac Efron's character being in love with Nicole Kidman. And he had suffered from abandonment issues. His mother left them when they were young, and he wasn't really much of a ladies' man. So he kind of had, I think there was a line in the movie, it's like, oh, he had his mother and, you know, some like whore, like all wrapped into one person, someone he felt comfortable with, yeah. who he could lean on, and someone that he could. You and, know, uh, you know, he got to sling some dick. He apparently. could poke, you know? yeah. Like, he got to sling dick with her, which Finally. is cool. Finally. Finally. It was like a little bit of a payoff there. Um, but it's creepy when we see John Cusack's family living in the swamps. And, oh, you know that shit. This is, is in Florida, wasn't it? Is really, yeah. The movie would took place in Florida. Yes. Yes. And um, so in I've, the 60s. I, it's, a, it's supposedly based on a true story. It, it's, it's based on a book. Um, by I forget the guy's first name. Last name is Dexter, and he he wrote Rush, the book oh, that Rush wow. is based on. Great, great, great um, movie. And it's supposed so Paperboy is supposedly loosely based on real events, but um, it's so creepy how isolated that world is, and you know it's like the, it's like. They're like self-governed. It's like their own order. You know, sketchy shit goes goes on like down in the swamps. I'm sure there's been many rapes and murders that nobody knows about because it's so closed off. It was so creepy. It like left it left me feeling so <laughs> unsettled. Like I was thinking yeah. about it all the next day. I, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, it ends. It ends. The ending is is intense. And, yeah. And, uh, but I mean, basically, the plot is Matthew McConaughey went to my, goes moves to Miami, and he comes back. He's a reporter, and they're trying to actually get John Cusack's character out of jail, right? Because they believe he, that he's innocent of this murder he's been convicted of. Yeah, right? for killing the marshal. Yeah, yes, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up getting out of jail, Ugh. which is the worst thing that could ever happen ever happened. And then he's united with Nicole Kidman's character. Right. And then he grabs her and brings her out to the swamp. Yeah, and and she says, "No, I don't want to live out there. I want to stay here." Oh, and and the whole and the sex scene and yeah, it's just like so really violent, scene. but it's it's so twisted. It's like, "Oh, yeah. she kind of likes it, but obviously she's terrified of him and she probably never dreamed that he would actually leave, uh, you know, that he would actually get out of prison." But um it's sad and it's so raw and so uncomfortable, um, which I th- I heard that Lee is it I think Lee Sanders I f- it's the guy that did Precious which I've never seen but I, I heard Precious was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Also. The movie was uncomfortable through, all the way through. Lee Sandler. It felt very I'm uncomfortable. Forgetting. There was a lot of like like very very 
there's moments in there where you're just like it's excruciating at times. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's dirty. You yeah. Know? I mean, it doesn't get you horny or anything, but it's 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 filthy, and it's I mean he t- it was it was really great. It's a really well done movie. I yeah. thought. But don't go into it thinking you're gonna feel good at the end because you're gonna no. feel really bad and bummed out. Yeah, and you're gonna start thinking that everyone who lives in the swamps and the in the in the deep south or you know just like deformed, deformed. creeps, you know, kill, killing women and and blacks and children and dogs. dogs. <laughs> You know, they just do whatever they want. You another, know? another film we saw too that same week was um, I just I got the Blu-ray of uh, Evil, the Evil Dead remake, which was great. I thought it was I thought it was amazing. You know? I went into it not expecting very much because, as you know, I kind of hate remakes. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, the first one, was so awful, and I was like, like per- personally offended by it just because I love. I love that movie so much, so um, I, I generally hate remakes, but this really, like, you know, just threw me for a loop. I thought it was really great. Well, it took it in a different direction, I think, because um, the uh, the whole idea, once I found out they were remaking Evil Dead, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, once I even heard of that, I was against it, before I knew anything about the, the film, but... Then I started hearing reports that it actually was pretty good from people who'd seen it in the theater. And I missed the boat on seeing it in the theater, so I did the next best thing. I pre-ordered the Blu-ray. And I remember when the Blu-ray showed up, I was like, oh, school, you know, awesome. And, and it, it, I heard it was really super violent. I heard that, you know, it was a, a hard R, which it was. And I, I enjoyed it. And it actually kind of left itself open for more films. Yeah. You know? It was the bloodiest movie I think I've ever seen. One of the seen. bloodiest, like, yeah. Hollywood-esque films. Right. Like, big budget films. Right. You know? It was very bloody. There was really hardly any humor in it. There was no Sam Raimi-isms. No. Know? But there were references. There were very su- there was yes. a lot of obvious and then some subtle references to the original films. I enjoyed it. Some people didn't like it. I don't give a shit. I liked it. I thought it was cool. I'm probably going to watch it a couple more times before I get sick of watching it. But yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was really good. Um, so we've been going for a while, so yeah, might as well wrap it up. I'm actually getting hungry again. Okay, I think I might have to cook some food. You know, that sounds good. <laughs> All right, <laughs> once again, man, we got everything went black podcast. Uh, keep an eye out for that uh, discount code for the P cubed pants at clothingarts.com and uh, maybe we'll have uh, Adam and Mark come back again Mark just got married actually yeah we went to the wedding last weekend you know Mark Mark's an old college buddy of mine and um, you know Adam I don't know where he met Adam in that like purgatory of financial got people that those both of those guys used to work in in that environment that hellish environment that somehow they they met in that miasma of greed and evil in Wall Street Anyway, we're out. Have a good day. Take care.